0: Our scripture this morning is from Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. Please pray with me. Lord God, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Now I've got a TikTok trend, it's the story time. So I'm gonna start with a story. Um, So during my first semester at college, this is when I was a first year student, my roommate was going home for break and I would have the dorm room all to myself. So I was gonna use the long weekend to complete an assignment for a class I was taking taking on evangelism and discipleship. The assignment was to spend two days, so 48 hours, practicing spiritual disciplines and then to document the experience reflectively. So the class was going through a book by Adele Calhoun called The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. And we were encouraged to try at least five different spiritual disciplines. Um, If it were a cookbook, we we were the amateur chefs trying out a souffle for the first time. It's easy enough, right? Um, Now, I knew that I wanted to include the discipline of solitude. Um, I'd been reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, and that quote from Life Together uh, was really rattling through my head. The quote was, "'Let he who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes into the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. So I had planned to confront my fear of being alone with God that weekend. You know, nip that in the bud. So I chosen to be in my dorm room um, in quiet meditation. unplugged from all social media, all communication with the outside world. I was gonna fast for 48 hours. I was going through the prayer of examine, which is, which is actually what, what David uh, introduced us to last week. I was gonna do breath prayers, you know, so what could go wrong? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> As someone who had never been at school for, the, for a break before, I assumed that everyone, like my roommate, was gonna go home for the break and my FOMO kicked in big time, so my fear of missing out, when it seemed like the no sports in the hall rule was abandoned completely. And my dorm room transferred, transformed from a chamber of mindfulness to a an echo chamber with soccer chants and male taunting. Okay, so I didn't choose the best location. So I relocated while everyone was at lunch to a prayer chapel that was a little bit more trafficked than usual and people wanted to talk And so I I went to the woods. I went to the woods and found a log to sit on. That was my pew for the afternoon. I didn't bring a jacket, so um, I was cold. But I didn't want that to be a deal breaker. I, I kept on thinking about how the desert fathers, they probably weren't too happy about the temperature some of the time. I mean, what was a little cold? I exist in a long line of Christians that probably weren't too thrilled about the weather at some point. I think it's fair to say that distraction was part of my experience. And admittedly, I think that I also felt really guilty. Um, that it was so hard to spend time with God. Why is it so hard to spend time with God? So then I went back to my dorm room, and my next self-affliction was the hunger. Oh, it was getting close to the night. I wasn't sure if this was, this happened on day one or two, but I decided to abandon my fasting. Um, and I'm not sure "abandon" is the right word completely. I, in my mind, I found like an acceptable loophole, like a little caveat to the no food rule. You see, my roommate had a air uh, popcorn air popper and a a big bag of unpopped uh, popcorn. That's not food. That's not food. My roommate wouldn't mind. God wouldn't mind. I mean, we only get 48 hours together anyway. Why spend this time completely famished? So at least 10 bowls of popcorn later. (laughs) Now I'm feeling really guilty. I'm mad at God because I'm so bad at prayer. And I'm mad at my roommate for keeping his popcorn in such a visible spot in the room. Why am I just not able to enjoy this retreat with God, this silent retreat? You know, I think we all struggle to a degree with stillness before God, being still, spending time alone with God. In our series of listening to God, this is the third and and actually final sermon in that series we focused on the practice of engaging with scripture, on practicing engaging with the Holy Spirit. And today we turn to the practice of engaging stillness, the practice of stillness. You know, reformed Christians like us, we, we can be really good at, pr- at crafting prayers, putting together corporate worship with words, even reflecting God's own words back to him in prayer. But another way that we can meet God is in stillness before him today our our passage it arguably goes beyond a simple call to stillness there are other places in scripture maybe where you get the idea more directly elijah in the middle of the night he he heard god speak lamentations encourages the young to sit alone and keep silent the psalms repeatedly tell people to wait and to hear god speak an adaptation of the, song that we, the psalm that we sometimes sing in our church, be still for the presence of the Lord, the Holy One is here. Christ himself sought a solitary place to meet with God. Stillness is important. Our passage today does more than call us to stillness, but it sets the, the context for being alone with God and what this, this call uh, to wisdom, that, what that entails. So, so that's what we're going to focus on in this passage, this call to wisdom. I mean, when you look at this passage, the first four verses are a bunch of if statements. And the, the fifth verse is a then statement. So it's an if-then scenario, a cause and effect, if you will. I mean, if you want to grow big and tall, eat your vegetables. If you break it, then you buy it. If you want a friend, be a friend. Our passage is the same essential structure to this if-then model of these, these modern sayings. Um, this proverb has a consequence to it, the natural consequence that follows certain actions. So our, our passage is about the search for wisdom, which we can think of as a lonely search. I mean, where do our imaginations go? We can think of the academic up late at night, pouring over books as the manuscript slowly emerges. Maybe you think of the Eastern wanderer on the path to enlightenment. But in fact, The first chapter of proverbs we learn that wisdom searches for us just take a minute to think about that wisdom searches for us this is what it says she is calling out on the streets raising her voice in the public square on top of the wall she cries out at the city gate she makes her speech how long will you that are simple love your simple ways So wisdom calls out to us and in our passage, we read the other side of the hunt, our part, in verses three and four. So verses three and four, it says, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. So based on that, that wisdom is searching for us, and the call for us to search for wisdom, I mean, if we're both looking for each other, I mean, you're going to find it. Wisdom is a mutual pursuit. The first if statements in our passage show us that wisdom is not hidden so much as that image of the academic in the library trying to uncover something so much as its wisdom is learned or inherited, um, verses one and tell us. one and two tell us this: accept my words, store up my commands within you. Turn your ear to wisdom, apply your heart to understanding. I mean, the starting point in pursuing wisdom is revelation. It's God revealing Himself. I mean, accept my words. That references specific words. That is scripture. Store up my commands within you. I mean, this goes beyond the the commands of a father. These are the practical commandments from the law. Notice the audience here. It's addressed to my son. These are the words of a father trying to give his, his child advice. In fact, if this is Solomon writing here, these are the words of a king. A king who is helping to establish his child, his heir, to prioritize the most important things so that he will be a successful king after him for us the the pursuit of wisdom this wisdom in proverbs is is the direction of god for us Uh, who who is the king right he's helping us to prioritize the right things that help to establish us in our life god's wisdom is revealed it's not hidden it's revealed but of course it takes diligence and that's the point of this It, it takes diligence to become wise it even though wisdom isn't hidden we have the Bible we have our Christian heritage we have people further along in the faith process than we are we're still instructed to search for it as for hidden treasure I mean treasure that's what verse 3 says and right before it it calls it silver I mean these are important words search for it as hidden treasure it speaks to the value but I think that it also speaks to the level of intimacy because that word treasure is important in our Bible you think of Jesus who says For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I work with a a few clients that are in various stages of addiction. Um, Teens addicted to to neurological uh, stimulation of video games. Adult women addicted to the neurological stimulation of online sex behavior. Both groups have a hard time with the reality of everyday relationships holding everyday conversations. This week, I, I sat with someone who talked about his addiction as a form of idolatry, which, of course, is an insight that went far beyond uh, recognizing his body's learned dependence on a particular substance. It's a compulsive search. I mean, this is a quote that the unrestrained human heart always cries out, I want, I want more, I need. An addiction can become a refuge and strength a very present help in time of trouble which is coincidentally the same way god describes himself addiction can take the place of god in the heart as the innermost desire desire in itself is neither good or bad it's a fire within us if the fire shrinks too small we are the shell of a person but if the fire becomes unwieldy we become its slave A turning point in many an addict's journey is is that point of surrender, of admitting that, no, I don't want God. I don't want to feel vulnerable and scared. I just want to numb out the world. My inner fire has shrunk to nothing because the idol of my heart, this treasure, is void. No, we're called to search for God's wisdom is for a hidden treasure, for that treasure to reside in the centermost part of our heart, which means reordering our, our other treasures, right? As our relationship with God grows, loving him, spending time quietly in his nourishing presence becomes the most natural thing in the world. But getting there is a real journey. Let me tell you. In our passage, we're, we're bid to seek God To call out to God. But but consider the, the place of words versus the place of receiving, right? The only use of our mouth in this passage is to implore God for discerning and for understanding. This is a passage about listening, and its goal, far from being academic, is spiritual, right? The fear of the Lord, the knowledge of God, I mean, those are important words, the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. I mean, they're almost like two poles, right? The fear of the Lord. It's like awe or reverence or paying respect to someone. And the knowledge of God, intimacy, personal, deep knowing. I mean, the knowledge of God is an important word in the Old Testament. Knowledge, yada, yada. It's it's the language of intimacy, the language between a husband and a wife. I mean, that intimacy is held in tension with this idea of revering God, fearing God, respecting God, but both of which come from accepting God's instruction to us, obedience to God. One preacher, Roger Whipp, he, he contrasts these two poles by talking about speeding. So he says anyone zapped by a speed camera or pulled over by the police, they get a ticket they're likely to be a little more careful in the future, especially when their driving driving licenses on the line. Our obedience to the law doesn't come about by our love for the policeman who pulled us over or installed the camera, but not, neither because we necessarily agree with the speed limit set. I mean, sometimes it is set pretty low. I mean, why, why do we drive slower in the end? because we don't want the natural consequences of our our behavior, right? When Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, he's talking about something different, the other side of that fear spectrum. He says that love produces obedience. Our obedience to Christ's command is the result of genuine love. It is possible to obey Jesus' words, as, as we would the speed limit, and not out of love for him but maybe out of our fear for him but consider the strength of obedience found in a in a relationship of trust right they they work hand in hand our obedience produces both fear of God reverence for God awe for God and it also produces an intimate relationship with God where we know him and trust him you know if the conditions of this clause include the way we receive from God so accepting God's word storing up his commands within you turning your ear to wisdom applying your heart to understanding then then and intimacy are the result right so if we're receiving from God then we're going to grow in our relationship with God which both recognizes him as God but also recognizes him as our father of course our passage today does more than call us into stillness it sets the context for, for being with God, that context of, of God as God and God as Father. The implication for our series, which is the main application of this sermon, though, is the practice of stillness. And that's what I wanna talk about. We associate Pentecost with something quite the opposite of stillness, right, we, before God. We, we accept it with, with a, a loud roar of the Spirit, but let's not forget that For ten days before the ascension, the disciples sat in an upper room in stillness, in quiet, waiting on God. I think that as our relationship with God deepens, one writer puts it this way, our words are still important, but they become less essential. In fact, being still before God allows us to hear from him. God's presence is everywhere and like like we recognize during Pentecost it actually dwells within those who believe it dwells within us God's spirit dwells within you sometimes prayer isn't about looking for God out there but it's growing a deeper sense of God's presence everywhere and God's presence within you and sometimes words get in the way of that that recognizing his presence dwelling in his presence sitting in stillness sometimes words actually get in the way of that if you're young in your faith you know you can start to cultivate quiet time with god in your search for wisdom if i learn lessons from my silent retreat in college it's that this isn't a duty to be undertaken so you don't need to feel guilty if it's hard this is more like something that you can slowly learn to receive like a gift Right? It's a gift to sit with God and know that God has nothing but goodwill towards you and wants to bless you and just wants to be with you. And, and one prayer practice that you can try is one of accepting and committing. So those are words I'm going to come back to, accepting and committing. Arguably, it is impossible to actually empty your mind. I don't care what they say. I think it's actually impossible to empty your mind and sit in stillness with nothing going on. We're prone to have thoughts, almost like a pop-up that you used to get on your your computer screen. Um, But what we can do in stillness is change our relationship to those thoughts that do enter our mind from trying to control them to surrendering control, right? So this is the nature of acceptance. So maybe the thought crosses your mind that there's a gopher in your garden chewing on the roots of your plants. Maybe you think, I never remembered to clip these gargantuan fingernails. I mean, if you act on that thought right now, you'll likely find another thing more pressing than stillness to occupy your time. And then you'll just carry on your day doing one thing to another and live the, all of your lives in a series of domino-like concerns. Instead, you can take a deep breath and breathing out, choose to let that thing pass through your mind in a non-judgmental fashion, in in an accepting way. So if your thoughts are like bubbles, visualize this, floating in the air, look for a moment, but don't try to stop it. So it's just gonna float into the air. There's a time for busyness and there's a time for stillness. And for those things that do cross your mind, that are painful, you can imagine committing those things to God's care, right? Know that God knows our needs before we ask. God knows if our family member is sick. He knows that there are countries of the world that are facing violence and the threat of death. There are some things that that God alone is equipped to deal with. And so your thought, like a bubble, can float heavenward, briefly acknowledge it, and acknowledge that it's entering God's domain accepting and committing right accepting and committing this to god sitting in intentional silence so choosing not to dwell on the things that will inevitably cross our mind but committing them to god whose love for the world is perfect whose power is inexhaustible then returning to a place of stillness a place of listening now David did try a practice last week, and I wanna do that as well. I, I wanna give us space to try this, here and now. David invited you last, year, last uh, week to close your eyes as you feel comfortable, and, a, and in a moment, I'll invite you to do the same thing. Um, what I will do is I'll read for us Psalm 23, and I'll invite us to a place of stillness for about a minute. Imagine yourself lying down in the green pastures this Psalm talks about, and as thoughts come to your mind, I invite you to allow those thoughts to ascend heavenward, floating from your purview and into God's own shepherding care. And if a thought returns, that's okay. God can handle two thought bubbles. You'll likely become aware of your own kind of body weight against the, the pew. Um, that's okay, too. Just take a deep breath and be still. So does that all make sense? Can I, can I answer any questions before we try this? All right. All right. I will read Psalm 23, and I invite you now to close your eyes as we practice stillness before God. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. All right, let's return from the Swedish countryside. Now, I don't think sitting before God in stillness is a chore. Um, It's part of our childlike relationship with him. It's one of dependence where we recognize his care for us. Where we come back to that place of awe, like God really is this good. And a place of intimacy, God really loves me this much. Encountering a God who is greater than our imagination could possibly conceive, but yet chooses to be closer than a brother. All right, in our series on listening to God, we focused on three things. We focused on engaging with Scripture, on engaging with the Spirit, and the practice of stillness. It's a short series, but it's a really practical series that I hope has a long shadow. Because as a church, we need to listen to God. We need to not only open our mouths, but we also need to hear him speak to us. We'll be turning in our our series next to uh, the book of Ephesians, to, to the church that Christ built. And that church that Christ built is a listening church. let's continue those practices those practices of engaging with scripture engaging with the spirit and engaging in stillness would you pray with me father i thank you that you are here i thank you that your spirit is real and living in us i thank you that you invite us to know you to know you so deeply I thank You that Your presence is the safest place to be, honestly, the safest place to be. And I pray that You'd call us back into this place, this place of knowing and trusting and loving You as both King and Father. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.